Welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast channel. This is a discussion of one of Grattan's reports. Welcome to another Grattan Report podcast. I'm Megan from the Grattan Institute and today we're discussing road congestion. We've all been there, late to a meeting or just desperate to get home, cars ahead of you as far as the eye can see and you haven't moved an inch for at least 10 minutes. And you should know, you've been watching the seconds tick by on your watch. If you've ever driven in a city in peak hour, you know what I'm talking about. And in Sydney and Melbourne at least, the chances of being stuck in traffic could be on the increase for some. In Grattan's latest report from our transport program, Stuck in Traffic, Road Congestion in Sydney and Melbourne, data sourced from Google Maps shows that commutes to the CBD from some suburbs can take more than twice as long during peak hour than they take in uncongested traffic. And while both cities have adapted well to population booms over the past decade, and indeed congestion is not a problem for all, the unpredictable nature of heavy traffic and likely continued population growth in Sydney and Melbourne call for solutions to be implemented now to avoid long-term economic and social costs. I have with me today Grattan Senior Associate Hugh Batroni, who co-authored Stuck in Traffic with Transport Program Director Marion Terrell. Welcome, Hugh. Thanks, Megan. Now, Hugh, over the past decade, Melbourne's population has grown by a massive 25% and looks set to overtake Sydney as Australia's most populous city. And given congestion has been a common complaint throughout Australia's history, have we reached a tipping point? Well, look, it's an interesting question, um, and it's really the one we set out to answer because on the face of it, as you, as you point out, there are a lot of warning signs. Um, so the fact that Melbourne has grown by 25% over the last 10 years, Sydney by 20%, these are huge, really, really huge numbers. And then we also know that as a nation, we're, we're very much car dependent. So we have one of the highest rates of vehicle ownership in the world. And when you combine these things, yeah, you do you do start to paint a picture of um, pressure on our road network. And at the same time, we're motivated by the fact that the, the topic is actually quite a complicated one. So quite often the measures that you see that are reported in the press, that are reported in the, in the, in the literature more generally, uh, tend to paint a picture of congestion that we don't really know exactly what to do about. So we get measures of the costs of congestion at a city-wide level. And these are famous, sort of very well-known and very large numbers in the billions of dollars each year. Um, and we also get other sort of headline-grabbing, media-friendly media uh, stories about delays. But again, quite often these are measured at the city-wide level. And without drilling down a little deeper into it, it's very hard not to know what to do with this kind of information. So just how bad is congestion in Australia's major cities? Um, again, a difficult question and one that we've, we've had a very close look at. And what we find is that how bad you think it is depends on how you define the problem. Um, and so there are these, these three perspectives that people bring to the problem of congestion and then the lens or which one of these three you view it through will sort of determine or condition how big a problem you're actually looking at. So to start with, there's that of motorists themselves, so people on the road network every day. Staring at their watch. <laughs> staring at their watch, frustrated. Um, and so for, for, for motorists, we'll, we'll measure it in terms of the delays that they experience and then how much those delays vary on a day-to-day -day basis or compared to what they know, how quickly they can travel on a particular road at a different time of day. And then you also have, I mean, the problem with this perspective is that it is quite subjective and it is quite hard to measure across different cities. Um, and so what we're actually looking for then is to try and 
find a theory of why a particular amount of delay or a particular amount of variability in delay is a problem. And this is where the economic approach um, actually lends a hand. So economists see the problem of congestion as being one where motorists are imposing delays on other motorists because they don't face the full costs of the congestion that they cause. So this is a little bit of a theoretical point, but it is a very important point as well, because it's saying that uh, if I decide not to make a trip on any given day, then other motorists will actually get a slightly better trip because there's one less car that's clogging up the roads. And so even though you might think, oh, my trip is really only one car, what difference can that make to overall congestion? Even reducing just one my one trip will allow, a, because of the way our roads work, the, light, the traffic lights in, in a big city will allow some travelers to have a slightly shorter trip. And so what economists then do is they point out that even though it might be the impacts from one individual motorist, not traveling might be very small. When you do multiply that out across road users across an entire city, you do wind up with very large impacts. And so at an aggregate level, what we have seen is that during the morning peak on travel from a range of suburbs into the city, into a CBD in both Sydney and Melbourne, Delays uh, do measure around 70 to 80% of how long they would take for the same trip in the middle of the night. And so the economic approach actually allows us to make sense of those delays by saying, by knowing that these are caused by people who don't face the full costs of their decision to travel. So that's from a motorist point of view and then from an economic point of view. Um, But you mentioned there were three different ways of defining congestion. What was the third one? So the third approach is that of engineers. So an engineer will look at a road and try to work out exactly what its carrying capacity is. So how many road, how many cars can travel on that road within a given amount of time? And so, and then they will provide an assessment of that road. They'll give it a rating based on that. So a road at at one extreme, a road may be freely flowing or and at the other extreme, a road may be what's known as hyper congested uh, or in a state of gridlock. And so this perspective is a different take on the problem because what we saw when when we had a look from this perspective is that roads are not in a state of gridlock. Um, and so while every day at peak hour in, the, in certain places, it may, roads may get close to being in gridlock, the average experience is very much not that. Uh, and neither is it also free flowing. So it's, it's somewhere in between those two. And so what, what we took away from that was that we've had the engineers allow us to do this quick assessment of, do we have a gigantic problem that we need to hit the, um, the urgent button and get on and fix, i.e. a roads in gridlock? Or is it in fact the case that roads are free, freely flowing most of the time? And so having done that assessment, worked out it's neither of those two, it's kind of in this shades of gray in between. We fall back on the insights that we get from the motorist perspective, measuring the delays and variability in terms of a comparison with travel on uncongested roads with the insights that the economist perspective provides. From that point of view then, let's talk about Sydney's congestion. Um, where and why is it a problem? Uh, look, it's really interesting because obviously what you, when you do look at these measures that get produced of city-wide congestion levels, you do get this misleading p- impression that it's the same everywhere. And, and clearly that's not the case. And m- maybe it doesn't take too much of a, 
of a deep think to work that out. But so what we did was we looked at ABS journey to work data from the census. And we combined, combined that with analysis using Google Maps to work out the travel times for the full range of commutes across Sydney. Uh, we see that for most people, congestion is not a major daily concern. We see that average delays compared to travel on, on uncongested roads is only about three minutes. But where we do see congestion worst is in on travel to central Sydney, including the CBD, and travel around in, in those parts. And, and look, this is, this is unsurprising, but I think it is also an important point. And it is, so it arises because we know that most people don't work in the CBD or in the central part of Sydney and Melbourne. A lot of people, or even most people, work in locations that are very close to where they live out in the suburbs. And so for the majority of people, congestion is not part of their daily experience. But for those that it is, including in, in particular travel to central Sydney and central Melbourne and the central business districts, congestion does reach very acute levels. And I'd imagine that it does vary too in terms of how bad it is day to day. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the so variability and the reliability of travel are really important um, for motorists because you need to be able to plan trips. And so what we see is also that in both cities, there is a high degree of variability from day to day. So for example, travel to the Sydney CBD from Hurstville in the south takes usually 25 minutes with no traffic, but during the morning peak, it'll take about 44 minutes. Um, so that's about 75% longer, wow. longer than it does in uncongested travel. Mm. And it's also quite variable. So one day a week, the trip will take about 33 minutes. So it's quite a bit less than it does on an, as an average. But then on another day, it'll take as long as 51 minutes. And then the travel times that we see once a month stretch out to about 55 minutes. Mm. So planning your day around that is actually also a bit of a difficult thing to do. Mm, absolutely. And, and what are the causes of, of this congestion that we're seeing? So looking at Sydney, the causes of congestion in Sydney, we identify a range of these. So Sydney has a very large CBD um, and very dense, which also spreads over quite a long way. And so this spread of population and employment tends to mean that it's very hard to find a quick route through the cent central part of Sydney. Sydney is also, as you know, kind of defined by its waterways and also its hilly topography. And this, this also play, plays a big role because many trips are reliant on bridges. Bridges are natural bottlenecks. And so this, um, this can be hard for motorists to navigate. Other factors that we saw were the location of rail lines, heavy rail lines tends, looks like at a superficial level, like it plays a big role. So one of the charts that we have in the report overlays the, a map of Sydney's heavy rail lines with um, those suburbs from which commuting by car is above average. And you can see a very clear correlation there. And toll roads in Sydney were also a factor that we identified. So we see that, for example, you only have to see the example this year where the M4 freeway was re-tolled. So tolls, there was an amnesty period and then tolls were reintroduced on that freeway. And the impacts on the broader road network, so people trying to avoid paying the tolls, was um, was very significant. And, and what about rain? Because, you know, as a motorist, my experience is that everybody's a terrible driver when it's raining. 
and therefore traffic is dreadfully slow when it's raining. Is that Does the data support that? Yeah, well, look, we had a look at that because we did think this does seem to be the conventional wisdom. Um, we didn't find any result that would suggest that rain does have this disastrous impact. So for us, when we looked at we actually had during during our sample period, so we collected data from March through until September. The wettest week in Sydney during the six-month period during which we were collecting data was um, the week beginning June the 4th this year, um, and it had rem- remarkable downpours on several of the mornings and several of the afternoons. And across all of the routes we, we had in our sample, there was no obvious story there to tell about congestion or delays being worse on those days. Some days we did see delays being slightly worse than the average. On other days, actually, delays were less than the average. What? So there was no obvious story for us to tell there. Um, Interesting. It is interesting. It's also, I think, the case that rain can be bad, but rain can be bad for a range of reasons. So rain can contribute to accidents, obviously, and that can be one of the main reasons that delays might spike. But it just might be the case that on during that week, for whatever reason, there were fewer um, accident co- accidents caused by the rain than usual. Okay, so that's Sydney's congestion problem. Um, but what about Melbourne? How does the congestion problem compare? Are there similar causes? Well, in aggregate, before we get into causes, in aggregate, we were surprised to see the congestion in Melbourne was just about the same as it is in Sydney. Mm. Um, and so that sort of defies the conventional wisdom that Sydney is worse. Although when you put in the context of the, the huge population growth in Melbourne, which has been outstripped that of Sydney over the last decade, perhaps less surprising. Um, one thing we saw in Melbourne, which was different to what we saw in Sydney, is that there is a particular geographic compass point from which trips are more delayed so we didn't see this in Sydney, but in Melbourne, it is, it's quite clear that travel to and across the city from the northeast, so suburbs like Heidelberg, Doncaster, Kew, and sort of beyond, are noticeably more delayed than travel from any other particular geographic compass point. And then looking at that a little bit more deeply, it does appear that a, a big part of that is travel on the Eastern Freeway and Hoddle Street, which are sort of not- notorious bottlenecks uh, during peak hour. And what are we seeing as the causes of the traffic congestion here in Melbourne? Well, again, it's just like Sydney, it's the CBD, the focal point of the CBD for economic activity. And um, in Melbourne, it is actually the case that the CBD is increasingly the focal point, which is different to Sydney, which where over time we're seeing a slight westward drift of um, economic activity in Sydney. So the CBD still remains where most ac- economic activity happens in Sydney, but it is drifting westward sort of in a Parramatta direction. But in Melbourne, it's different. It's sort of locking in in the central city. So that is would, would be one of the factors. Um, we also noticed in Melbourne that driving is more attractive. Driving into the centre of the city is more attractive than it is in Sydney. So there are more commercial car spaces per 100 workers in Melbourne, I think about 14 compared to about 12. We see much cheaper parking in Melbourne than we see in Sydney as well. And part of that, part of the cheaper parking in Melbourne is definitely the cheaper CBD congestion levy, which is a state government levy. Um, So Sydney has one and Melbourne has one. Um, The difference between the two being that Sydney's is about twice the cost of Melbourne's. Wow, okay. And what about public transport in Melbourne? Um, You mentioned that we seem to prefer driving. Why aren't we 
taking the train or the bus. Well, part of it is definitely that driving is more attractive. So for it's, it's, there's more spaces and it's cheaper. Um, so just to call out the numbers on this. So we see that in Melbourne, about 60% of commuters to the city use public transport. The number in Sydney is about 75%. So there's a big difference there. Mm. And then so in, in terms of travel to, to the CBD by car, it's about 30%, nearly 30% in Melbourne and about 16% in Sydney. So there's a big gap there. And so the reasons really probably come down to the difference in cost to do that. And uh, it also would seem that um, public transport is just a more attractive option in Sydney. Well, Hugh, it certainly doesn't sound like the congestion problem is getting any better. So what can be done about it? Yeah, so we think that there's still some low-hanging fruit to be picked, um, certainly in Melbourne, probably more so than Sydney. Um, and yeah, we, we do agree with that assessment that things are starting to get to the point where more sophisticated approaches are probably needed to address congestion. So in terms of the low hanging fruit, um, and it's really Melbourne, as I said, that has the options on the table. And, and mostly this is in terms of emulating policies that Sydney's already put in place. So this includes things like, as we talked about, the CBD parking levy. So it just seems like a no-brainer that Melbourne would increase that at least to a level to match Sydney's in the short term. Um, and then another thing that Sydney does and does well is its arrangements for public transport fares. So it differentiates its fares by time of day, something that Melbourne Melbourne does a much more rudimentary version of. And so what that does is it gives people more, greater incentives to change the mode they're traveling by. So you might hop out of your car and hop on a train if it's going to be cheaper. And it also gives people traveling on the train or on the tram or on the bus an incentive to change the time of day at which they travel. So you might, instead of traveling at the most, the, the peakiest time of day, you might delay your trip by a little bit, perhaps till after nine o'clock or travel in a little bit earlier. And doing so, you, you'll have a more comfortable trip and you'll give people more, you'll make it more attractive for people to switch over and start using the train. And so what about some of the more sophisticated options that we might need to look at? Yeah, so our report does say, and I th- that we are have reached the point where we do need to implement some form of congestion charging. So we what we mean by that is putting in place a system, and so these exist in other countries in other cities throughout the world. So London, Stockholm, and Singapore all provide good examples where motorists are charged for traveling in the busiest parts of the city at the busiest times of day. And so by doing that, you again you give them an incentive to either hop out of their car and hop onto a bus or a train or a tram or a ferry in Sydney, or or you give them an incentive to travel at a different time of day so in order to avoid paying that charge. Right. I'd I just call out that that sounds very similar to just toll roads in general, um, which you, you identified earlier is actually one of the problems that we're facing in terms of congestion. How is congestion charging different to toll roads? Yeah, it's a good point, actually. And um, But there are some very important differences between the two. So, so what you see across Australia at the moment is that toll roads, almost without exception, don't have charges that vary or tolls that vary at different times of the day for passenger vehicles. So, and the the one clear example, exception to this is the Sydney Harbour crossings, the bridge and the tunnel, both do have 
um, prices that vary at different times of the day. But every other toll road, and there are a host of them in Sydney and Melbourne, don't have this arrangement in place. Um, and so time of day charging is obviously crucial if you're going to implement some form of congestion charging. So th that's one big difference. Um, another big difference is that the focus of toll roads tends to be raising revenue that can be used to pay for the costs of building the road in the first place, um, as opposed to using the, the prices that motorists pay on those roads to manage the problem of congestion. And so when you, if you're focused on uh, largely on a revenue objective and you're not focused on your congestion objective, then you do wind up with impacts on other untold alternative roads. And so if you did have a, when you've got a congestion charging scheme in place, your focus is on managing congestion and not on the, raising the revenue. Um, so what we're, what we're certainly not saying we should stop doing toll roads by any stretch, um, but we're saying that they should ideally, well, we're saying one, they're different to a congestion charging scheme. And two, when you do do toll roads, that you should, you should, governments should retain flexibility to control those toll prices in order to manage congestion. Okay, so that's congestion charging. Um, what are the other recommendations that the report does make? Okay, so we do we break our recommendations up into several different categories. So the first category is things to do over the next twelve months, and they're things that really, we've already discussed. Um, so they are more expensive parking in Melbourne CBD. So it's a changing its CBD congestion levy, and the other thing is greater range of fares on public transport. So at different times of day, charging different different fares, greater discounts for those travelling in the off peak or shoulder peak periods. New South Wales already has does this, and Sydney already does this. Um, Melbourne could do much more of it. The next recommendation is for more frequent and detailed public information about road delays. So that's just getting more information into the public domain to encourage greater dialogue about what congestion is and isn't acceptable. Um, so at the moment, a lot of the de debate and dialogue that happens, happens without a really great base of information to inform it. And so we have tools now at our disposal. Google Maps is one example, but there's increasingly more and more information that we can use to inform public debate. The age of the smartphone. The age of the smartphone. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot in that, isn't yeah. there? Um, our next recommendation category is what we're calling recommendations for better investment. And it's, there's just one item in that category, which is that we need to more often compare expenditure on roads so investing in some big new road with non-construction alternatives so that's making sure that we have done the work to know that there isn't a smaller scale solution that will also meet the same outcome um, and obviously the one that we talk about which we have talked about in this podcast has been uh, road charging and congestion charging um, but it needn't just be congestion charging it could even be comparing the big new road with what happens if we do change our CBD parking levy and how much of the problem will that solve by itself at much lower cost? So the, the next category of recommendation that we're making is uh, about smarter pricing. So we've obviously already talked about congestion charging. The other big one in this category is that we think we need to, or governments need to investigate independent regulation of future toll prices. So our concern here is that at the moment, what we do when we set up a new toll road is we sign a contract with a private operator of that toll road, and that contract is typically a very long-term contract, so maybe 30 years or more. 
And so our concern here is that by locking in prices now that will be, will be in place for such a long period of time, we reduce and remove the flexibility that governments need to manage congestion over time. Um, and the case in point really is that we don't know what the world's going to look like in five years. I mean, if you look at the amount of change we've seen over the last, in recent years, Absolutely. and it, I mean, trying to think about where we're going to be in 20 years, <laughs> how we're going to travel, where we're going to live, all of these things are, are clouded with uncertainty. So the greater, the more flexibility that governments have to manage congestion over that longer term period is really important. Finally, there's just a very small category of popular ideas that we don't recommend. So, and as we've talked about, first on that list is a large scale road building program to beat congestion. We think there are other alternatives that are generally better value for money. And the other one is school staggered school starting times. So, so there is this belief that travel during school holidays is much quicker than it is during the rest of the year. Um, and so we had a six month period over which we collected our data and that was that allowed us to look at two school holiday periods and it allowed us to see that school holidays actually don't make a large difference to congestion to overall delays um, certainly if you're you know within a individual local school area it's going to make different a difference for some some routes but when you look at the city as a whole this isn't one this isn't a way we can beat congestion um, we also, you know, in, within that sample, we could also look at public holidays and see that they did make a big difference, but school holidays, not so much. Oh, so we should just have a bunch of public holidays all the time then. Oh, look, this is, <laughs> this is fantastic policy that we're making here. Excellent. We're on the, we're on the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Hugh. As a proud Melbourneian, I am, of course, concerned about Melbourne's future chances to continue its streak as the world's most livable city. So I hope we see some of your suggested solutions implemented in the very near future. I think there's, I'm, I'm confident, Megan, there's lots of opportunity for Melbourne to... Uh... Continue its streak. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's right. I'm pleased to hear that. <laughs> Um, if you'd like to download a copy of the full Stuck in Traffic report, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. And as always, you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news reports and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.